Well, what is the main dish at Thanksgiving? Right, it depends on who you ask. Could be turkey. I'm pretty sure there's one thing we can all be certain of this morning. That green bean casserole does not make the top of the list for anyone. Sometimes it's not always clear in life what the main thing is, but it's always really clear what the main thing is not. Well, what's the main thing in Christianity? What is that one thing that God is all about? We can probably list off pretty quickly the things that we know God is not about. But do we know the main thing? Last week, we began to study and look at Jesus' words as he was interacting with his disciples, and his disciples were challenging him, saying, Jesus, so what's the great commandment? Jesus, what, what is the most important commandment as you look at the whole law and the prophets? And we saw that Jesus responded and stumped them by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In other words, Jesus was saying to them that love God. That's the main thing. Love God, it summarizes, it, it fulfills all of the other law and prophets. So last week we learned that the main thing, our marching orders, are that with all that I am, all that I have, love God. So we taught you a little actions last week. Let's see who remembers our uh, actions last week of our main point. If you weren't here last Sunday, don't worry. You'll learn quickly. And you need to know this for the, like, the next six weeks, and we'll be adding to it in a couple of weeks. So you've got, only got a couple more weeks to get this main part down. Okay, so our marching orders are, with all that I am and all that I have, love God. All that I am, all that I have, love God. Very good. That's the main thing. Not from my thoughts, not from your thoughts, but from Jesus himself says, everything rests on that. With all that you are and all that you have, love God. Well, everybody left last Sunday agreeing with the sermon. Well, who disagrees with that, right? Who disagrees with the concept, love God? It's probably familiar to you and you've probably heard the statement, all we need is love. Well, what does that mean? It means a variety of things to a variety of people because all of us probably mean something different by love. There's varying degrees of love. So what does it mean? What does it look like if with all that I am, all that I have, I love God? Open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John 14 beginning with the 15th verse. What we have here is we're going to be looking at some different verses here is Jesus is giving his final sermon, basically. He's gathered together with his followers, and these chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, are kind of the, the final compilation. This is Jesus' final teaching to his followers. There's a theme that starts to ring out here. John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus giving his followers some final instructions here, and in these final instructions as he's preparing them for a gift, the gift is the Holy Spirit, he's also reminding them of a responsibility. And the responsibility is pretty clear. Jesus doesn't mince a lot of words. He just says, comes right out and says it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. To love God is going to lead to obedience to God. You cannot love God without obeying God. They're not the same thing, but you cannot have love without obedience because Jesus is saying, hey, if you don't obey me, it's just revelation that what? You really don't love me. Well, sometimes we get caught up on this issue of obedience because we don't want to come across as though, hey, you've got to follow these rules to become a Christian. And so we sometimes separate love and obedience. But in reality, obedience, Jesus never sets aside and says, okay, don't really worry about it because you're saved by grace or because I love you. Focus on that love thing. It's always given in combination. And I want to show you kind of from the history of the Bible how this works out. So I'm going to go all the way back in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6. This is the first place where we see Jesus uh, quote from. He quoted from Deuteronomy 6 when he said, Love the Lord your God. So Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 and 6. God, speaking to the nation of Israel here, says to them, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So this is just God telling the people, hey, love me. That's pretty clear. Now, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, he continues to God continues to lay out his desire for the people. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. So here we've got the emphasis on what? Follow the ways of God. Obey the commandments that I give you. And it's right in the same thought process of love him. And there's, there's no contradiction here of loving God and obeying God. Now, jump down to chapter 11, verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. So pretty clear what God wants. God wants the people of Israel to what? Obey him. Now, it's really important to recognize the context 
of Jesus here in De- or of God here in Deuteronomy and Jesus in chapter 14 of John. They're actually very similar contexts. In Deuteronomy, this is really God's first time, what? Laying out what he wants from this group of people. Now, this group of people, he chose. He made this group of people his own. So he's not giving the group of people Israel these rules before what? They're his people. They're already his people when what? They receive these commands. Same as in Jesus in John chapter 14. Who's Jesus talking to? His disciples. They're already his followers. He's already chosen them. He said, you are mine. And so now he's having a conversation with his people. He's not saying, hey, you need to obey to become one of my followers. No, he's saying, hey, you're my follower. This is, this is the relationship that we have. And God's saying the same to Israel. Hey, I made you a nation. And now that I made you, guess what? We have a relationship. And the relationship is this. I love you. You love me. You obey me. So you're saying, well, pastor, that's the Old Testament. That's in Deuteronomy. That's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us anymore. Well, let's look here. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 John, the other end of the Bible. 1 John, almost to the book of Revelation in the New Testament. 1 John, so 1 John would have been written thousands of years after the book of Deuteronomy. Thousands of years after, and a lot has changed. Jesus has already come. Jesus has already started to establish the church. So there's, we're in the New Testament period in 1 John. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 John 2, verse 3. 1 John 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now go to 1 John 3, 24. 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and guide in God in him. And by this we know that he abides in him, us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now 1 John 5, 2 through 3. 1 John 5, 2 through 3. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It just doesn't get any clearer. He says very much, this is to love God, is what? To keep his commandments. What does it look like to love God with all that I am and all that I have? It looks like this. Responding when he speaks and doing what he says. Obedience is not optional. But most of us, myself included, we've actually become CEO. And maybe you've always wanted to be a CEO. Guess what? Today you're a CEO. Chief excuse officer. All of us, in some degree, at different times in our life, we become the chief excuse officer. We know what God wants, but what do we do? We don't do it. We come up with an excuse. And oftentimes, the excuses that we use might be something like the following. Well, things are complicated, and it's kind of mysterious. I mean, when God said what he said in the Bible 2,000 years ago, things were a lot different, and they didn't have science back then. Is that true? Partially true. Has there been advancements in science since back then? Absolutely. You drove a car here this morning. Are things different? Absolutely. However, 
Does that change the commands of God? No. Does it make some of them a little more complicated because we're dealing in a different culture? Absolutely. But we'll get to that in a moment and pack a little on further. Another excuse that oftentimes we use is this. Well, I don't know what's going to happen if I obey God. I, it's, I don't know if people are going to accept me for what I do. So fear starts to set in because we don't know what the result is going to be. So, so God says, hey, go talk to so-and-so. And you're thinking, I don't know how so-and-so is going to respond. So fear trumps obedience. Or we think to ourselves, you know, God says to, to handle my money this way, but if I handle my money this way, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to do X and Y. So fear of the unknown stops obedience in the present time. Again, another excuse. But Jesus doesn't leave room for excuses. He just simply says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So things are more complicated today. We live in a different culture, right? I mean, in, in the time in which the Bible was written, there wasn't Facebook or Twitter. There wasn't news organizations that had 24-7 access to everything around the world. I mean, your world was pretty much what? You and where you were at. Maybe every once in a while there's a telegram coming on a camel. I don't know. But, you know, that didn't take just 24 hours. That's a long journey. So it was a vastly different culture and world compared to to today. So are there some things that are, that are difficult to understand? You know, so for example, in one place in the Bible, it talks about women and braiding hair and, and things like that because of some cultural things that were going on back then with, with hair and how women handled their hair. That's totally different today. However, there's certain things that God says that haven't really changed at all. Don't lie. Don't be jealous. Don't want more than what you already have. Love the person who doesn't love you. All of those things and many more are just straightforward. They would fit in any culture and in any time throughout history. So what excuse are we making today? Do we have an incorrect view of God that says, well, it's not really required anymore? That's an incorrect view of God. We have not met the God who's revealed in the scriptures. Do we have fear in our hearts? If we have fear in our hearts, maybe we've got a bigger view of people than we do of God. If we're fearing people more than we're fearing God, well, we're saying people are more powerful than God. What's the chief excuse in my life today? What's the chief excuse in your life today? Jesus would say, if you love me, Obey what I command. When we think about this issue of obedience, of listening to what Jesus says and doing it, it brings us to the issue of what it means to be a mature Christian. And many of us struggle with this issue of being a mature Christian. I hear it all the time from people. I'm not a very good Christian. I'm just not, I'm just not there yet. And people that I hear this from have been sitting in a church seat for 45 years. It makes no sense at all. There's no excuse at all. If you've been in a church seat for two days or 45 years, you can be a mature Christian in both instances. We've got to understand what it means to be a mature Christian. 
So look with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We get a real glimpse here of what maturity means. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter here to the church in Corinth, basically all the Christians in Corinth. And, and they had some interesting things going on in Corinth. They had some weird behaviors in the church. They had some lawsuit issues going on. They had some sexual issues going on. And Paul wrote them some instructions. And notice what he says here in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, what he says about this group of people. But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So why does Paul say that people are immature, that they're not ready for maturity? It's not because they don't have the first five books of the Bible memorized. It's not because they don't have all the songs sung in church memorized. It's actually pretty simple. They're immature. Why? Because they've got jealousy and strife. Something a lot of us would probably consider some of the more simple commands of the Bible. But Paul's saying, hey, if you had this stuff settled, you would be spiritual people ready to talk about maybe some, some deep teachings. Spiritual maturity is not experience in religious activity or knowledge of historical events. Spiritual maturity is obedience to Jesus Christ, doing what I know needs to be done. You're a mature Christian if you're obeying the commands that you know. I, I know churches all the time. I, I talk to pastors all the time, pastors that have churches full of people that have studied the Bible. They've been to class after class. They've been in small group after small group. They know the history of how all of the churches started. They've got everything memorized, yet pastors are so frustrated of the maturity level. It's not because of the knowledge, it's because people in the church are still gossiping. People in the church are still talking to someone about something that someone else did rather than talking to the someone. Spiritual maturity is living out the commands of Christ. I can be living out the commands of Christ and still growing in knowledge about all of this important stuff that influences our thinking and gives us a deeper understanding. So today, are you pursuing maturity? Not by gaining more knowledge or more religious experiences, but are you pursuing maturity by doing what's right in front of you? What does God require of us? The next thing. Always throughout the Old Testament, when they came into a hard time and God said to them, hey, do this, the people would always wonder, well, the wilderness is... This is going to get interesting, wandering in the wilderness. And God just said, no, do this right now. And it didn't make a lot of sense. There wasn't a lot of clarity for what after that. They were supposed to do what? What was right in front of them. So how about you today? Maybe you don't know the whole Bible yet. That, that's just fine. Maybe you're just starting to gain some more knowledge. Maybe you're just starting to get comfortable praying in front of other people. Maybe you're just starting to get comfortable talking about spiritual issues in a small group. What do you know today, and are you acting upon what you know? 
And so you say today, well, well, Pastor, I'm not in total agreement with Jesus on some of these things that you talk about about Jesus. I'm not in total agreement on this creation stuff, Pastor. Uh, Pastor, I'm not in total agreement on this marriage stuff. I'm not in total agreement on this money stuff. Okay, okay, let's set that aside for a moment. Are you acting in agreement with the other things that Jesus has said? Are you at least starting with what you do understand? Jesus asks you and I today to enter into a relationship with Him and God the Father. And to what? Do what's been told to us today. So you might say, wow, this is a lot of rules. Eh, you're just all about following rules, aren't you? Not really at all. It has nothing to do with rules. I look at rules this way. Rules from God are simply God's way of making His desires known in human understanding. Because God's not human, so what does He have to do? He, he's got to choose something in humanity, language, words, to what? Reveal what He wants. And, and so rules are really a reflection of God's heart. And it's not about the letter of the law, but it's about what's the law trying to accomplish. This last week, as all of you probably know, if you don't know, I don't know where you've been or how you got here this morning, but it snowed this last week. And it's that first nasty snow, right? And it's just like, all summer long, I thought my maintenance guy was going to fix the snowblower. It didn't get done. I don't know why he didn't fix it. But uh, so here we are, the first snow comes and not ready. Well, the city of Sioux Falls has got a rule. Shovel the sidewalks within 48 hours. So what did I do? I shoveled the sidewalks within 48 hours. I didn't shovel anything else at all. Now, I followed the letter of the law, but my wife and my kids are walking on ice right now in the rest of the driveway. So how many of you would say, Pastor, you've done well. You've accomplished what's supposed to be accomplished. How many are in agreement? I've done well. We got a couple brave souls. Thank you. Thank you. How many of you would say, ah, well, I don't think that was the total intention that you just clean the sidewalks. You could clean the sidewalks and still what? Not really accomplish what the goal of shoveling is. Now, I just did that on purpose, so I'd have a sermon illustration. Thing. <laughs> the same with God's rule. God doesn't just give us some laws and some rules and say, hey, 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 don't do this. And then we don't do that specific thing, but then we miss out the whole purpose. You look at every rule and law that God gives, and you know what it really is? It's a revelation of a perfect creation. So when he says, hey, don't be greedy. Don't want what others want. Why? Because when we're greedy, we hurt other people. Because it leads to weird behaviors. It leads to you treating people, other people poorly so you can get what they have or so that they're less than you. Everything that God reveals is really a picture of the creation that He wants. So it's not today about are you following the letter of the law. The question is, are you fulfilling what the law intended to accomplish? Today, God is inviting you and I into a relationship. And here's the beauty of the relationship, this love relationship in John chapter 14. There's two themes. One is this, if you love me, obey me. But the second theme in John 14 and 15 is this, I'm going to give you a helper. 
Here's the crazy thing about God. God is not one who's far off and just says, I'm going to see how it goes down there. No, God says, hey, I'm going to give of myself to them. That's why in John 14 and 15, he promises the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to come and be with us. A helper to what? Help us fulfill the commands that Jesus gives to us. If you're struggling today in the spiritual dimension of your life, so if you think of our life in two dimensions, you kind of got the what you can see, what you can feel, what you can touch, and then you've got the spiritual dimension, what you can't see. And that spiritual dimension is really our relationship with God. And if you're struggling in that spiritual dimension, loving God, maybe it's because you're ignoring what God is giving us in that dimension, which is His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, very simply put, is this, is a spiritual being that's present in your life, around you, in you, within you. Don't know exactly how it works scientifically, but the promise is is that there is a spiritual being present in your life, and that spiritual being is God himself. So God gives of himself to empower and energize us so that we can be in relationship with him. God's commands always come with a promise. The promise is, I will give you a helper. The command is, obey me. Do what I say. It's just this constant reciprocal relationship. With all that I am, with all that I have, love God. What does that look like? It looks like me saying, God, what do you want? And when he speaks, I act. Will you pursue maturity this next week? Will you act when he speaks? Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting, loving God, we thank you, O Lord, that you have loved us. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us. God, we acknowledge that oftentimes we ignore commands. We acknowledge that oftentimes we make up excuses. But Lord, we pray that today you would put a desire within us through the power of your Holy Spirit, to pursue obedience. We pray, O Lord, that today your Spirit would energize us, that your Spirit would equip us for a life of obedience. Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We thank you, O Lord, for calling us into a relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.